Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Those of you that are new, welcome to Vertical Life Church. I'm Pastor Joey, and uh, we are excited that you're here. Exciting things are happening. And thank you for everyone that usually sits in the back moving closer today. If there are any miracles that happened today, that was one I'm thanking God for. So we appreciate you being flexible and uh, helping us out there. Today we're starting a new series. We're embarking on a new journey today. It kind of has been uh, inspired by the time that my wife and I were away just a couple weeks ago. As we went and visited Resurrection Life Church in St. Louis, Missouri. I was praying and asking the Lord, what, what do you want us to talk about now that we're done talking about personal revival, even though revival continues? We're still fanning that flame. We're still going after the things of God, the gifts of the Spirit, anything that he's leading us to do. But what is the next thing that you want to speak to us about? And so I was, I was just praying and, and, and coming up with all sorts of ideas. And every time I'd get a good idea, I'd start to pursue it, and then it would not be a good idea. You ever had that where you're like, oh man, this is going to be great, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, that stinks. Get rid of that. And so, so just continue to pursue that, and then finally God just brought me back to this, this message, and more of a message it, uh, is like a, a series because it's no surprise that in our day today, we're going through some difficult times. Just think about as a nation, there's some stuff going on that is just out of this world. We're still reeling from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. There, there are legislators and, and people in government that want to bring back the mask mandates and, and look at closing things down again. And I'm just like, are you out of your mind? I don't want to do that again. That is like driving me crazy just thinking about it, right? But how many of you ever thought we'd be paying five bucks a gallon of gas? I'm, my, my goodness, like, I'm, like, doing the math. I'm, like, man, 20 bucks only gives me four gallons, you, you know? And in, on the West Coast, they're up to 10 to $12 a gallon. That's almost as much as minimum wage is in some states. I mean, it's astronomical, the things that are happening, inflation and all these economical crises that are happening, the, the um, uh, baby formula shortage that was going on, that they're having to do emergency um, mandates to get baby formula back on the shelves. There's so many things that are going on in, in our world. Uh, last Memorial Day, my wife uh, and I were talking about doing a cookout for our family. And so I asked her, well, I'm, I'm out. Do you want me to just stop by Walmart to um, pick up some food for lunch? We'll get some stuff to grill, whatever. And she's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. I had no idea I was going to spend 150 bucks on one meal. Like, usually that is what you spend at a fancy restaurant for one meal, not groceries, right? So there are things that we're dealing with as a nation that are a big deal, but also we can endure difficulties on a personal scale. Many of us will at some time or another go through a circumstance or a situation that is going to be difficult, that's going to be a trial or maybe even a long season, and that season can leave you feeling hopeless or hopelessly overwhelmed. You might be going through something right now. There might be something in your life that you're wrestling with. And so as I was just praying, as we were going to be visiting this other church, God led me to a passage of scripture in Psalm 42. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or the verses will also be on the screen. But in Psalm 42, this psalm was written by a group called the Sons of Korah, and they were most likely men that were allied with King David. King David was king over Israel. But there was a time where David had to flee Jerusalem, the capital city, because his son Absalom was initiating a coup, and he was trying to take over. And so he basically ran his dad and all of the people loyal to him out of the city, out of the nation. And so here we have these, the, this group of people, along with David, on the run, fearing for their lives, and he writes this psalm, or one of the sons of Korah writes this psalm, and he begins crying out to God in this psalm, lamenting or mourning the fact that he's no longer in God's presence like he used to be. Remember back in the Old Testament, where could you find God's presence? In the tabernacle. 
where the Ark of the Covenant was. That was the meeting place where men went to go meet with God. So he was used to being in this place every day, this holy place, leading in worship, basking in God's presence, enjoying the presence of the Lord, and everything that came with being one of the children of God. And now he is far removed from that place. He's disconnected from the presence of the Lord. And he is lamenting this fact so much so that he starts out this psalm by saying, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. There is a deep longing in his soul for the presence of the Lord. And he was longing to get back into the presence. And so he's caught in this dilemma, this difficult season, and now he's also in a very difficult place. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6 of this outcry of this psalmist in Psalm chapter 42. And here's what he writes. He says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to fill this place with your presence. We know, Jesus, you promised where two or more are gathered in your name. You're right there among us. So come, fill this place. And Lord, I ask you, God, as you are, as you are revealing this message in your word, God, that your heart would be on display as you speak through me. I pray that you would remove me from this place, God, and that you would have center stage. And that anyone here that's going through a difficult time or maybe about to walk into a difficult season or maybe is on the edge of the season, they're about to come out wherever we are, God, in our struggles, in our trials, in our tribulations. Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, you would help us drown out all the distractions. Give us eyes to see ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to receive and believe everything that you have for us today. And we say, Jesus, be glorified and have your will. And all God's people said, amen. So this passage of scripture has always kind of struck a chord with me. As I have gone about my, my years, my days, and, the, and just thinking about the presence of the Lord or thinking about the word of God and promises I heard that phrase, deep calls out to deep, many years ago. And, and that has always kind of just stuck with me. And I would think about it from time to time. I would go back and revisit that. Deep calls out to deep. And I'm just thinking, man, that is such a poetic like phrase. That's, that's something that's really significant. But I have no idea what it means. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been like reading the Bible? And you come across a scripture that just jumps out at you, and you're like, that's so cool. But I don't know why it's so cool. I, 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 don't, I don't know why it's even in there. Like, what does that mean? I mean, anybody like that? I mean, come on, this church, yeah? Like, you must not be reading your Bible if you're not raising your hand, because you just go through the book of Leviticus, and there's lots of things in that book. Like, what does that mean? I don't even know if I can read that out loud. I don't know. I get in trouble. Right? But there's tons of things in the Bible. You read it and you're just like, man, that's, that's so good, but I don't know what it means. Another translation of deep calls out to deep, Psalm 42 in the New Living Translation, it says, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and your surging tides sweep over me. So what the psalmist is describing is he's kind of describing an ocean scene uh, of waves crashing down and really crashing over him. And not just any waves, but waves from the deep. Waves from a place of desperation. You see, the psalmist, he gives us the location where he is, where he's writing this from. He says he's from the land of Jordan. At the northern part of the land of Jordan in Israel is the Sea of Galilee. And it's a pretty awesome place. It's a pretty awesome sea. But just within 40 miles of the Sea of Galilee, if you continue to head north, you run into two mountains, Mount Hermon and Mount Miser. 
And they're no longer in the Jordan. They're in a place called the Bashan. Somebody say the Bashan. Now, the Bashan in Israel was an incredibly dark place. And here he is stuck in the place of God's kingdom in this dark place. The Bashan was the location of, of the giants that they had to remove whenever the Israelites went to do the conquest in Israel. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Why were they afraid to go into the promised land the first time? It was because of the giants. The ancient Israelites believed that the Bashan, more notably Mount Hermon, was the location that the angels that fell in Genesis 6 that began the rebellion that brought forth the giants leading up to the flood of Noah, the reason why God sent the flood, that this was the location they landed when they descended from heaven and began their pact of evil and corruption. And so here you have Mount Hermon in the Bashan, the gateway to a place of spiritual darkness. Matter of fact, Og of Bashan was one of the last kings they had to overthrow before going into the promised land, and he was one of the last giant kings. It said his bed was like 13 feet made of solid iron. It's in incredible. So in the ancient Israelites' mindset, this place was a dark place. It was a place where the, the giants were, where the fallen realm was, a, a place of darkness. What's also interesting about Mount Hermon is in Mount Hermon, at the base of the mountain, there is, there is a shrine to the god Pan. And Pan's been very, very popular, especially in nowadays. A lot of Pan people around. But at the base of Mount Hermon, they built a city called Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus takes his disciples there one day. As a matter of fact, he takes them up to the top of the mountain and takes Peter, James, and John, and he reveals his glory. He becomes glorified. He shows them the glory of God. He says he gets engulfed in light, and they can't even really see him anymore, and they hear the voice of God, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And they want to create altars to, to Moses and Elijah who show up and to Jesus because they want to mark this spot as this monumental place. And so here Jesus reveals his glory, but also in this location, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they all give their answer, but Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you have spoken well, you have spoken truthfully. And I tell you, you are Peter, but upon this rock will I build my church, and the what? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you think about it, he declares that statement on top of the mountain. The angels of Genesis 6 fell and began their corruption. So what was Jesus saying in that moment? If you put yourself in their place, he's saying, this area is the gates of hell. This is the doorway to evil, the doorway of darkness. But I'm going to build my church on top of the ruins of the gates of hell. Jesus was a bad mamma jamma. I'm just telling you, he's picking a fight. And I'm so glad he did. But you got to think about what's happening here, the significance of the Bashan, the significance of this location, that it is the doorway, the gateway to darkness. But also in the ancient Jewish mind, they had an understanding of darkness that also had to do with deep water. So here he's not just on the edge of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, feeling out of place, feeling lost, not knowing where he is. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you just, you felt distant from God and you're just, you didn't know if you were heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? You just didn't know where you were? You're just full of confusion? This is what's going on in his life. But not only did they have this understanding of the Bashan, but deep water was also considered the domain of chaos. The location of Leviathan. Leviathan was this chaos dragon, this chaos monster that ruled the sea, that ruled the deep water. And in Isaiah, it says that Leviathan also signifies the great enemy of God who God will overthrow in the judgment. So Leviathan's getting his head cut off one day. Just as Genesis says, you will bruise his heel, but I will crush the head of the serpent. So that when you understand the symbology and what's going on in the Jewish mind, it brings the pieces together. It's pretty, pretty awesome. 
So deep water is the domain of Leviathan. It's the domain of chaos, the chaos dragon. And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, if we don't understand this, we'll miss this whenever we read these things in Scripture. The first chapter of the Bible, we look at creation as God is creating everything into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered what? Covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, in this passage, what we're thinking as God's creating, we're thinking there's nothing. Now, God is creating. So as we're looking at the description, we're thinking there's just this water ball floating in nothingness of space. And the Spirit of God's hovering over this water ball. And then as we continue to read the creation account, we see how God brings life and, and starts bringing land and all these other things. But there's something more significant being communicated here than just that land hasn't shown up yet. The word darkness can also be translated as death. And the word the deep can also be translated as the abyss. And so what the writer of Hebrews here, what Moses is communicating is that the earth was created, it was formless and void, and darkness, death, reigned over the abyss, the underworld. But the Spirit of God is still reigning over darkness. And what happens next? He creates the firmament. He brings earth out of the waters. What's he doing? He's performing a resurrection as he's bringing life out of death, bringing order out of chaos. And why does he do that? Because he's a resurrection God. He has a knack of taking dead things and bringing them back to life. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. And so in the mind of the ancient Jewish person, we have this understanding as he's writing about deep calls out the deep. He's not just saying, man, the waves are rough at this beachside in the Sea of Galilee. He's saying, I'm in a dark place. I'm in the throes of darkness, and I'm experiencing an unrelenting attack from the spiritual powers of darkness in my life. It's not stopping. It's overwhelming. And I feel like any second, because I'm so disconnected from your presence, that I might be overtaken. As deep calls out the deep. No relief day and night. You know, when we're in a dark place and we're under spiritual attack, it can feel like that. It can feel like one thing just happens right after the other. You know, they say it comes in threes. Well, the enemy does terrible math because it's not just threes. It's in groups of three. One after the other. You get through one season and you turn around and you blink and you're in another season. And one of my favorite places to go on vacation is the beach. We like to go to the beach as a Henry family, any beach people in here like to go to the beach? Yeah, yeah, very common. We love to go to the beach. One of the things I love to do when we go to the beach, and at least when my kids were, were young, is we like to get in the water about waist high and sit down. And we would sit there at the edge of the water, and we would let the waves just smack us in the chest. And we would try to see who could sit, stay seated the longest. It was like a little competition. And I don't care if they were 5 or 15, I ain't losing I'm not, we're going to sit there, you know, but sometimes, you know, it can be quite easy, but other times those waves can get pretty hard, and then they can come really fast, as they're coming wave after wave, and once in a while you get caught off guard, a wave will be strong enough to not only knock you over, but drag you back about two feet, filling your shorts with sand. Now that's a good time. They talk about junk in your trunk. There's no way to get rid of that without looking awkward on the beach. Right? But when that wave knocks you over, what's it do? It disorients you. You kind of lose your bearings. And then you try to get up, and well, there's another wave. And sometimes it can be hard to get back up on your feet. Being pummeled by an unrelenting swell of waves and being in a dark season, being in a difficult time under spiritual attack can feel the very same way as you are being pummeled by those barrage of attack as deep calls out to deep. And in these moments, as we feel distant from God, we can even feel abandoned by God. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? 
Like, God, where are you? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you understand what I'm dealing with? The psalmist did in Psalm 42, verse 9. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me. The enemy is taunting me. He's accusing me. He's filling me with doubt. He's filling me with discouragement. And all day long, this is coming against me. And what's this recurring theme? God, where are you? Where are you? Like, I look at my life. And it doesn't match the last message I heard preached at the church that said, just trust in God and all your cares will be taken care of. Name it and claim it. Well, I've been naming a lot of things, but those coupons have been coming back void. I read your word and I read all these promises and I think, man, God's promised to do this, but then I look at my experience and I feel like Everything's happening in the opposite direction. God, where are you today? We all go through difficult seasons where it can be hard to hear God, hard to sense his presence, feel close to him. We even see him work in our lives. And when we feel abandoned by God, lost in the deep, abandoned to fight the waves, we can feel like our only option is to either sink or swim. Either sink or swim. Now that phrase, sink or swim, according to Merriam-Webster, refers to a situation in which someone either must succeed by his or her own efforts or completely fall. When you feel distant and abandoned by God, don't you feel like that? Okay, God, if you're not going to show up, then I got to do something. I'm going to find some way to fill this void. I'm going to find something to feel this pain. I'm going to do something to try to get out of this situation because I can't just sit here and let this continue in my life. God, if you're not going to show up, well, then I have to do whatever it takes to take matters in my own hands. And what do we do? We start to swim because we're desperately not going to sink. We're going to just start to swim. But, beloved, in the deep, Swimming looks more like treading, as we're treading just to keep our heads afloat, to keep ourselves from sinking. I've shared this story many times before, part of our testimony, and it was about six years ago where our family went through a very difficult season, our marriage went through a very difficult season. Some of you were there to love us through that, which we desperately and deeply appreciate. About six years ago... <laughs> Everything in our life became crashing down for the Henry family, our marriage, our family, ministry, just about everything in our lives. And it really goes back beyond about six years ago when I was a kid, I was exposed to internet pornography, and lust had its hooks and attachment to me my whole life. And it didn't matter how good I wanted to be, how pure I wanted to be, I was more afraid of that being exposed in my life, and so I kept it hidden. And so I fought as hard as I could. They call it white knuckling. You just, you do whatever you can in your own strength to overcome it. And there'd be many, many years would go by where I wouldn't fall into temptation. I wouldn't give in. But every once in a while, that weakness would arise and I would fall. I'd give in. And so when eight years ago, the Lord was calling my wife and I to start Vertical Life Church, it was a fearful thing for me, not because that we hadn't really planned on it or it wasn't the direction we were choosing, but it was because I knew what I was wrestling with in my own heart because every time I would make a mistake, it'd be like adding another stone to an already very heavy backpack, like wearing a monkey on my back, worrying about at any time this could go badly. And I remember praying to the Lord before we even made the decision, just like, marinating on whether or not God was really calling us. And I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt he was. But in that moment, I was thinking, God, if we do this and you don't deliver me from this issue, this could go badly. My own father left the ministry, destroyed our family because of moral failure. 
I know firsthand what this does to people. And it was when my wife and I were our first year of marriage. All that stuff came out. I was an adult, and it shattered me. And I hear I have four small kids. So if you don't deliver me from this, this could go badly. This could destroy everything. But we still felt like God was leading us to do this. So in faith, we trusted. And in faith, I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you have good plans for me, for good and not disaster, to give me a future and a hope. That you're going to work all things together for good. And, and so I'm going to trust you in this, that if we do this, that you're going to take care of this. You're going to keep me from falling. But you know, about six years ago, it all came crashing down. Why? Because I kept trying to swim on my own. I was treading to make as few mistakes as possible, white-knuckling my issue just to try to pray it away, to make it go away. But let me encourage you, beloved. Sin has a far greater effect in your life than you possibly can understand. And God is a gentleman. He's not going to force you into obedience. He's going to invite you into obedience. But when we play around with sin, when we, elect, when we make excuses and we keep this stuff hidden and we try to fight it on our own, it's like stepping out into an incredibly still pond and dropping a boulder in the center. And it makes a big splash, but then the ripples go further and further beyond what we could possibly imagine. It has a far-reaching and a far more devastating effect. And so... I kept quiet, I stayed hidden, because my pride and my fear of being exposed was greater than my desire to just simply obey what the Lord had led us to do, what he says in scripture, he says, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other, you might be healed, and you better believe it, I was not confessing that to anybody. Ain't nobody going to find out the pastor has moral issues. We surrendered and planted the church in 2014, and everything was going well for a couple of years, but... About six years ago, the stress of ministry, the stress of life was coming against me, and I began to disintegrate. I began to fall apart, and I began to fall into my weakness. And it was visibly apparent that something was wrong with me. And the Lord spoke to my wife one night. She said, you need to call him out. You need to confront him. And she did. And it didn't matter how many lies I told or how many ways I tried to hide it or keep it hidden and keep it from being exposed because I was trying to manage the situation to keep everything from falling apart because I really had my own best interest in mind. The unrelenting pursuit of truth that the God put in my wife wouldn't let her drop it. And I would have let everything come crashing down to protect this issue in my life, and I almost did. And it caused us to swirl in a whirlwind of chaos and pain for a very long and difficult season. As deep called out to deep. And I remember when all of that was going on, all of that was really fresh. Really just feeling abandoned by God. I felt abandoned. Because God, I told you. I told you this would happen. I told you, if you didn't deliver me, and you didn't heal me, this was going to happen. Now look. Now look. I was right. And where are you? Where were you? Where were you on this one? You called me into this family. You called me into this ministry. And I told you, if you didn't heal me, I would end up destroying everything. And I've been through this once before. I didn't want to go through it again. But now, look what was going on. And it was a really raw time for me. But as I look back now, I can see how God's love and grace were so evident through that time. Showing up and turning things around and keeping things together. And when I thought everything was going to fall apart, somehow they would stay together. I can look back and see God's hand in so many amazing ways. But that was a very difficult season, just feeling completely abandoned by God. No matter how many lies, no matter how many times I tried to keep it secret, it came crashing down anyway. 
Now, around the same time, really just a little bit before that, we had taken a family vacation to Seacord Lake, back when Seacord Lake was a lake. Now it's Seacord Dirt. But we went to Seacord Lake. My in-laws had rented a cabin up there, and uh, we were up there for a few days, and um, our friends had joined us um, for a day to go out on a boat. So we took the pontoon boat out, and we were having a good time with, our, with all the kids, their kids and our kids. And... Uh, we, uh, we were told about this place up at Seacord Lake, this hot spot for young people was this rope swing that you could, uh, you could go and swing out into the lake. So we thought, oh, we've got nothing better to do. Let's, let's hop in the boat. Let's you know, go on a few miles down, down the way, and let's find this rope swing. So we do. And so we get there, and we anchor about 50, maybe 50 or so feet offshore, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. And we're anchoring offshore, just watching as boats are lined up everywhere, music blasting, people are partying. All of these kids are on, on the shore, lined up, in line, going on this rope swing, swinging out and dropping in the water. Now, what you may or may not know about me is I love the beach. I'm not so crazy about the water. I just don't like the idea of things being in the water that want to eat me. And that deals with lakes and rivers and anything like that. I'll get in it. I'm just not happy in it. Because I'm wondering about, you know, where's the barracuda? You know, I don't know. Just, just looking for it, right? And so I was happy being on the boat. I was happy watching everything. And, you know, the kids are, are watching everything go on. And I don't know who said what, but somebody came up with the idea that the dads needed to go test out the rope before the kids could go on the swing. The only way for us to get from the boat to the rope was to get in the water and swim to shore. Now, I had been working out a little bit around then. I wasn't super into it, but I had been working out, and I was a shape, you know, round as a shape. And I had been jogging and stuff. I thought my lungs and everything, they'd, they'd be good. I've been shape enough to make the swim. You know, I'm, I'm not a terrible swimmer. I'm not a great swimmer, but I'm not a terrible swimmer. I could swim, and, and yeah, I have to get into the water, and I don't want to be in the water, but I'll get in there anyway, because Dad's got to be tough. Dad can't be afraid of anything, and he has to act macho, so I have to put on the front, act like it's no big deal. But here's what I'll do. I'll impress everybody with my, with my physical prowess. And when I get into the water, I'll just swim as hard and as fast as I can. And I'll just get there super fast. That way I can get in and get out, no big deal. So we get down into the water. And I kick off the boat. And, and uh, Rick was already in the water. I, I don't even remember what you were doing because the water was splashing in my eyes. I couldn't see. But I just start freestyling. I'm like, freestyle, I'm giving it all I got. I'm like, yeah, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're getting there. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like dying. I'm like, I have no breath, my energy's gone. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can keep swimming. You know, water's going everywhere. I'm like, man, I, I got to be almost there. Like, there's, I mean, we weren't that far off the shore. We, I got to be almost there. So, like, I'm going to stop and just see where I am. So I stop, and I'm not even halfway. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm close enough I could touch. Maybe the, like the, the ground is there. So I dip down, and there's no bottom. So I'm like, now I'm swimming. And I instantly, like, what am I going to do? Like, I have no breath. I, my energy has gone. I, I can't keep swimming. What am I going to do? I'm like, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll doggy paddle. That's nice and easy, and everybody can doggy paddle, right? And so, so I start to doggy paddle, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to cruise nice and slow along the water. And I'll doggy paddle, and I'll make it. So I started to doggy paddle, but then my doggy wouldn't paddle. And my legs started to sink, and I started to capsize like this. And I didn't even know humans could do that. I'm like, I didn't think humans could capsize. Like, I know, like, boats capsize, but I didn't know humans could do that. There's no holes in me or anything that I didn't know of. But I started capsizing, and now instead of doggy paddling, I'm more like an epileptic seahorse splashing around in the water. They're like, what the heck? You know, they're probably scaring all the bass. They're like, what's wrong with that fish, you know? But I'm like, I'm like struggling here. And, and so I'm like, what's going on? Like, what am I doing? I, and then as I'm like literally panicking now, like for my life, I have this thought. My wife is about to become a single mom. My kids are going to watch me die right here in front of them halfway to the to the, to the bank, like I didn't even make it halfway, you know, and I'm literally going to die, like what, what, what am I supposed to do, and it, I, I'm, I was calling out to a lot of things, you know, in that moment, 
So I'm still struggling, and then all of a sudden I feel something begin to wrap around my legs. The weed, the seaweed, started to grab my feet, and I'm literally thinking, I'm crossing over. It's like the, the zombies, they're, they're, they've already got me, right? And I remember the scripture, 2 Samuel 22, 5 and 6, said the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, and the cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. Like, I knew, like, I'm a goner. I'm dying right here. I was like, Lord, my spirit I give to you right now in Jesus' name. Like, you can have me. Like, I guess we were done, you know. My goodness. But I was, like, praying, and finally, like, I kept going. I was like, God, you got to help me. A little engine that could. Like, I'm channeling my little engine, and I kept going and kept going, and finally I make it to the shore, and I felt like, like a castaway, like landing on shore, I just wanted to kiss the sand and plop down and be like, oh, dear Lord, thank you so much, you know. But my, my buddy's there and everyone's watching. I'm like, I can't, can't look like I just died. I mean, people are going to be thinking I'm this little weenie, you know, trying to swim in the water. So I get up and we get in line and I'm standing there in line and I'm like shivering and I'm shaking. And it wasn't because it was cold. It was death leaving my body. It was the fear of death. It was all the adrenaline. I was like literally shaking. I'm like, hold it together, dude. Just hold it together. And then I realized we were in line to climb up this embankment, to get on a rope swing, to go out into the water and do it all over again. Let me just tell you, pride makes you stupid. It makes you stupid. You'll do some stupid things for pride. I'm just telling you now, it's not worth it. But we made it. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Whew. But you know, when I was in the deep, fearing for my life, struggling, all I could do was tread water to stay afloat. Just tread. Keep treading. Keep kicking. Keep kicking. And that's exactly what we do in difficult seasons. We tread water. We try to manage our struggles, manage our lives. We invest ourselves and pursue things that we think make us feel like it will help keep everything together. For me, I was managing lies and deception to keep people from finding out. Some, you manage your life with drugs and alcohol and abuse of substances, food, and only so many times you can go to Golden Corral in a week, y'all, and stay healthy. I'm just saying. Some of us, we pursue relationships. We feel so badly about ourselves that, oh, that person will make me feel good, or that person will make me feel good. We binge watch our favorite shows for hours and on end just to check out of reality. Or we do everything we can not to be home because when we're home alone with our thoughts and our pain, it's just too overwhelming. So what do we do? We manage. We manage. We tread and tread and tread and tread. But you know what? The longer we tread, the more tired we become, and we eventually begin to sink anyway. What you use to tread in your struggle will become part of your dysfunction, and it will cause you to sink. You know, and I remember when I was a kid and we took swimming lessons. I remember the coaches telling us that there's not just two options if you want to keep your head above water when you're in the deep. You can swim. You can tread. But if you want to keep from wearing out, if you want to keep from being overwhelmed, then there's something else that you can do to stay afloat. You can completely relax, lean back, let go, and float. You can float. In order to float, you have to completely let go of all the tension. Like, you can't, like, try to keep your hands from, you know, falling. You know how people do. And, like, like doing the trust fall. You ever have, you know, have to do the trust fall at work where you have to fall backwards and let people catch you? I still haven't passed that one. But when you're in a pool or you're being taught to swim, 
Take time, take, lean back, keep your feet up, keep your heads up. You got to let go of all your tension. If you have any tension at all, you're not going to float. You're going to sink. You have to let go of all the tension in your life. And you have to trust that you're going to float when you try to float. You know, during that difficult time in our lives, I remember one day I was home alone. And nobody else was around. I think all my animals were locked up. I was completely alone, and I was in my living room, and I was just pacing the floor back and forth. had my Bible open, and I was just flipping pages as fast as I could, just trying to find a promise, a scripture, something to give me hope in that moment that everything was going to be okay. And everything felt like any second it could fall apart. I just remember, God, you got to show me something. God, you got you to do something. You got to, like, I, I need something to know that everything's going to be okay, because right now, I don't feel like it's going to be okay. And I just remember being so overwhelmed with emotion and just getting to that place of like, God, I'm, I'm tired of trying to manage this. I'm tired of fighting this. I'm tired of all the lies and deception and this monkey that's on my back and all this weight. I'm tired of battling guilt and shame and condemnation and being so sick with myself all the time because of all this stuff. God, God I'm just, I'm tired of, of the way I'm hurting my family all the time, the way I'm wounding my wife and, and not being the dad I should be for the kids, for taking uh, advantage of this great calling that you've put on my life. God, I'm tired of all this stuff that is just eating me alive. And, and I, so I told him, I said, God, right now, as I stand, I don't care if I lose my wife or my family or my ministry. I don't care if I'm homeless and on the street. I'm, I don't care. I take full responsibility for my actions. I take all these consequences onto myself. I surrender my life to you. I'm not going to be dishonest anymore. I'm not going to try to hide this anymore. I give it all to you. You take it. I'm just messing it up anyways. I completely surrender. Whatever you want to do with my life, that's fine. Because as long as I'm okay with you, I know I'll be okay. In that moment, I made a decision. No more pretending, no more hiding, no more doing this on my own. I'm going to do it God's way and let God take a hold of me. And I just remember in that moment as I let go of all this stuff, I remember hearing this little, still, small voice speak to my heart. And that was before I was a crazy charismatic. I was still mostly Baptist at this point. I didn't even really know that God spoke to you. Like, we had the Word, we had Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That's what we had. But I remember hearing the voice of God speak to my heart and just say, bow low to the ground. And I'm so overwhelmed in this moment, I didn't even, I was like, well, if it's me, what's it going to hurt? If it's God, what's it going to hurt? I don't know. And so I just thought, well, I'll just, in faith, bow low to the ground. So I bowed on my hands and knees, my face in the carpet, and you know when you're alone and you're like sitting on the floor, you can even be in a chair, and you feel the impressions in the carpet behind you when someone's like trying to sneak up on you? I'm laying there just in prayer, completely beside myself, and I feel the slow footprints come up right behind me. And something touched me on my back. And instantly I begin to cry harder than I've ever cried in my entire life. I mean, it was full-on snot crying. I mean, I there was not... a fluid in my face that remained in my body. It was all coming out. I mean, and I cried so hard. I remember the only thing I could say, and as I'm crying, is that God, it hurts. It hurts. Weeping so hard. What I know what God was doing, what Jesus was doing in that moment is he was removing all the pain I've been carrying my entire life, every mean and hurtful word, everything that I've been bearing that was feeding this addiction, that was feeding this thing. He was removing it from my life. And in that moment when, when I was able to settle down and I felt peace come into the room and I got up just a sobering mess, I knew I was different. I knew things were going to be different. I, did, I didn't know how it was going to work out. I just knew it was going to work out. That he wasn't done. And he did rescue everything. He put us back together. Our family's still together. Our church is alive now more than ever. And my question is, is why did that happen? 
is because I'm something special? Absolutely not. It's because I fully surrendered everything to him. And I made a decision to stop treading water. Stop trying to manage my circumstances. And to sit back, relax, and float. I trusted that he was going to fulfill every promise. That he was going to work everything out. All things together for good. The good and the bad. He's going to work together for the good. And I just think for some of you that you're going through some stuff. And it's hard and it's scary. You can even be confused in that disoriented place where you're not sure how things are going to go. And you know, trusting God is scary. But beloved, I want to encourage you that you have more than two options. You don't have to sink. And you don't have to swim. Because God's will for you is to float. It's to float. And you know, I just believe God wants his people, his church, to float atop of the waves rather than drown in the deep. And you know, all my problems aren't gone. I still have stuff. Like, there's still things I'm praying to God about that are in, in my life, things that I know. Like, if God, man, when you took that one issue from my life in a moment, that was pretty awesome. I got a few other things I'd like you to take care of. You mind doing that, you know? <laughs> you know, but he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't removed all the stuff yet. You know, he hasn't taken it. I know it would make my wife a lot happier, make my family a lot happier if he would, but he hasn't yet. And so I kind of feel like the Apostle Paul, who went to Jesus three different times to be healed of something he called his thorn in the flesh, that it was a messenger of Satan to attack him. Three times he approached Christ on this issue, and Jesus never healed him, but he did say something to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. My favor is all you need. Somebody say my favor. God's favor, God's grace is all you need. It works best in your weakness. Why is that? Why is God's power most evident, most efficient, most beneficial, most effectual in the midst of your weakness? It's because when you're weak, you can't take credit for anything that happens. There's no excuse. There's no reasoning. There's nothing you can look at yourself and say, I was skillful enough, talented enough, capable enough to do this. It was all God. When we're strong, we take credit for a lot of things. But when we're weak, we can't take credit for anything. So we come to him humbly in a posture of weakness. And this is why Paul doesn't respond in discouragement at the news, God's not going to heal him. You know, you'd think when God says, actually, Paul, I'm not going to heal you. Not now. When you get to glory, you don't have to worry about it. But right now, I'm not going to heal you. You would think, like I know we would, we'd be like, dang, Jesus, I just said, boom, I just said, I said three times, I said three times, he said no to me three times. He didn't throw a fit. What's he say? He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm going to rejoice at my weaknesses. I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses. Why? So the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's some things God's going to deliver you from. But there's some things he wants you to trust him through. So Paul began to celebrate his weaknesses because that meant God's power would be more and more and greater and greater in his life. More opportunities for his power to flow through his life. And beloved, when we go through difficult seasons, we can rejoice too. Because God doesn't want you to carry the heavy load. He wants you to give it to him so that you can find rest. And as you surrender, as you sit back and float and find the rest, you'll see his power work in greater and greater ways in your life. And no surrender doesn't make all problems go away. Surrendering to the Lord, giving him control of your life doesn't make all your problems go away. It doesn't give you a problem-free life. But what surrendering to Jesus Christ does is it opens the door for God's power to move in your life. And when God's power is able to move, then that's when breakthrough comes. That's when healing can happen. That's when miracles can take place. So we have to surrender. Why? 
because we got to get out of his way. And all the time we're trying to manage and control, we're in his way. So we surrender. The Lord is teaching me to surrender every day. My weaknesses, my struggles. To not bear the guilt and shame from my past. To keep beating myself up for mistakes. Because that doesn't help. He's teaching me to surrender even in whatever struggle I'm facing. You know, the enemy, again, it's like wave after wave. He likes to bring that stuff up. He likes to bring up your junk. Put it right in your face. He likes to make you remember every mistake you ever made. And the moment you start feeling good, he's going to cause something to happen to make you not feel so good. He's the king of discouragement. And even in, when the enemy is bringing up our painful past and making it feel like a present reality, like we'll never be able to move past our past, he's teaching us to surrender. To surrender our fears, our worries, issues in our relationships, issues in our ministry. Why? Because when we do, God opens the door for his power to work and his power to move. So when we're in the deep, if we want the power of Christ to flow, we want breakthrough power relief, it's not going to be through treading, managing, and control. It's through letting go and surrendering control to Jesus. And it's easier, and here's the challenge, it's easier to tread in the deep than it is to float. Because treading puts all the control and all the authority in your hands. So it's easier at the beginning when you're going through a difficult time to start treading, start managing, start controlling. But over time, it gets harder because you wear out. You don't have the strength to sustain it. In the deep, it's harder to surrender and float because it puts all the authority and control in God's hands. But in the end, it's easier because you have all the energy and power you need to endure and get through any circumstance. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is God's will for you. It's not to drown. It's to rest. It's to float. And here's the beautiful thing. In Psalm 42, as the psalmist is crying out, he's lamenting, he's saying, God, where are you? Right after he says he's in the deep, and deep is calling out to deep. I'm pummeled by the chaos. He also declares in Psalm 42, 8, but by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. I might be in the deep, being pummeled by the waves. But every day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. As unrelenting are the attacks of the enemy, as this spiritual warfare is happening all around me, and I'm getting smacked in the face with wave after wave. God's love is steadfast. What does steadfast mean? It means immovable, secure. So when I'm trying to sit in the waves with my might, I might be there for a while, but every once in a while there's one of those waves that knocks you over and fills your shorts with sand. But when you are centered in and grounded in the love of Christ, you are steadfast, you are immovable, you are completely secure. And beloved, this is what God has sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Day today. This is what God sent the Holy Spirit to do. And Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, Our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Spirit of God has been poured out into your life to fill your heart with the steadfast, never-failing, unconditional love of God to keep you rooted, built up, and grounded. The love of God is the great life preserver that keeps you afloat in the midst of the waves. That keeps you floating on top of the deep rather than drowning into the deep. And what I love as God is pouring his love into our hearts. Paul tells the church of Ephesus, again, as he is no stranger to difficulty, he's no stranger to the deep, he says to the church of Ephesus in chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants you to have such a revelation of his love that you are lacking and empty of nothing, that you are filled, that even in the chaos of life, 
when the struggle is hard, when the water is deep and you feel like you're just drowning in your circumstance, you'd be so rooted and filled. And here's what we discover in the midst of our struggle as we are filled and rooted in the love of God. The deep may have depth, but God's love has depth and height and width and breadth, it is bigger, it is greater, it is stronger than anything the enemy can throw at you, anything life can send your way. It's greater and beyond what we could possibly imagine. It is too great for us to understand fully. God's love. And some of you, you're drowning you're drowning and your feet can't keep it up and I just feel the heart of God for you he wants you to quit treading water he wants you to float he wants you to float you know there's two parts of surrender the first is surrendering your life to Christ it's called being born again you say, Jesus, I'm not going to be God of my life anymore. I'm going to give you full authority and full control over my life. And you make a decision to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's called being born again. But the second part of surrender is giving him authority over your life. So many people say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But in Romans, Paul says to be born again, to be a follower of Christ, he must be your Lord. What does Lord mean? It means he's in charge. He gets to be in control. And so for some of you, God's calling you to surrender, not because you don't believe, but because you've been in control. And he's ready for you to let that go and give him what's rightfully his, lordship over your life. And I think for some of you, that means forgiving someone who's hurt you, or who is hurting you. Forgiving someone that said something mean to you that's just, you've never been able to shake. For some of you, maybe it means staying when all you want to do is leave. For staying on the path God put you on when all you want to do is give up. Whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life, beloved, if you want to float, if you want the power of God to move through your life, then it means surrendering in the midst of your situation. Surrendering your marriage, your spouse, your children, your job, your career path, your health, whatever it is and whatever it takes, you surrender it over to the will of God and you trust that he's going to work everything out for your good. In just a moment when we pray, I'm going to invite you to come, kneel down, and surrender what you need to give over to the Lord, whatever it is. If you need to give Jesus your heart and life, you need to make him your Lord and Savior, you want to give him authority in your life once and for all, you're tired of running from him and trying to do it your own way, you want to surrender, we'll have some people down here that will be here to pray with you, or you can just kneel down and come. But the challenge today is don't keep treading. Don't keep managing you got something in your life you need to confess, come confess it. Bring it into the light. The devil thrives in secrecy and darkness and in hidden places. Bring your struggle to the light and let God's power begin to move in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for all you are and all you've done. God, we thank you for your heart for us is not to sink, but it's to float. That we don't have to try to do this on our own. We don't have to try to manage and control because, God, you're in control. You are the sovereign God. You're the king of the universe. And, God, I thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to reveal your heart for us as your children, to fill us with the love of God. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to pour your love out even now. God, if there is fear right now, fear of being exposed, fear of confessing, fear of walking in obedience, the fear of even getting up from a seat and coming down and kneeling in your presence to surrender. God, I just bind and rebuke that in Jesus' name, and I command it to go. 
And I just pray, God, that today, your people, your church, would have such a revelation of love that we would come and surrender. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.